Hola, hola, buenos días, o buenas tardes, o buenas noches. I don't know what time it is where you're listening. But what I do know is that you're listening to the When in Spain podcast. In each episode, you can escape to Spain with me, your host, Paul Burge. A very warm welcome to you wherever you're listening from. Thank you for joining me for another episode of When in Spain. This week, I've got a fantastic guest for you guys, Spain lovers. I'm going to be chatting all about sherry, sherry wine, with Annie Manson, a.k.a. Annie B. Annie runs Annie B's Spanish Kitchen. She's a foodie, food writer, sherry expert and qualified sherry educator, in fact. Annie hails from Scotland and she spent 15 years running her own successful catering and corporate hospitality company in London before falling in love with the beautiful whitewashed Andalusian village of Beja de la Frontera. Now, as I said, Annie runs her own business called Annie B's Spanish Kitchen, uh, what she likes to call culinary adventures. She cooks out of Casa Alegre, which is her home, in Beja and the official centre for Peña Gastronómica de Beja, the Gourmet Association of Beja, where she runs cooking courses using local ingredients. She runs food tours across Andalusia and, in fact, tours as far away as Morocco and Menorca. And, of course, she runs sherry tastings. I just love that there is a sherry for every single type of food. You name it, there is a sherry to go with it. And also, I just love the history of sherry. When you are drinking sherry, you're drinking history because you're not drinking the last harvest sherry because that's not the way sherry is made. And as Annie shares her passion for sherry, that's, of course, what we're going to be talking all about in this episode, the intriguing world of sherry. Annie's going to run us through the history of sherry, a fascinating connection, actually, between sherry and Scottish whiskey, which I had no idea about. Really interesting story. Annie's going to talk us through the different varieties available. She's going to be talking about the famous Sherry Triangle in the province of Cadiz, home to the three cities where sherry is produced. She's also going to be talking about the production process and stay tuned to the end of the episode to hear Annie share her food pairing inspiration and her favourite bodegas and bars to visit, along with some practical advice for visiting bodegas and drinking sherry itself. But before we raise a glass with Annie, just a quick note to say a big thank you to all brand new When in Spain patrons. I would like to say a big gracias to Mimi Witt, to Elena Tejera Gaeta, Karen Hulbert, Ian Wicks, Jason Alden and Chris Lynch. Mimi, Eleanor, Karen, Ian, Jason and Chris, thank you so much for signing up to become a When in Spain patron and join the fantastic group of existing patrons who keep this show going, really, by signing up to support the show financially through small monthly donations. If you too enjoy this podcast and you would like to see it continue into the future and help support me in putting it together and bringing it to you, you too can become a When in Spain patron by heading across to patreon.com forward slash when in Spain. It's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash when in Spain. And you can sign up to various 
tiers to make different pledges there. Anyone who pledges at $5 or above will get access to bonus When in Spain content. So enough of that. Let's get into the interview with Annie B. I had such a fascinating chat with Annie. Really enjoyable. She really, really knows her stuff. And, uh, well, her passion for sherry and food and Andalusia is, well, palpable, as you will see. Vamos a por ello. Annie B, thank you so much for taking the time to join the When in Spain podcast. Lovely to be here. Lovely to chat with you. Annie, you're based down in Bejer, Bejer de la Frontera, down in Cadiz province. Beautiful whitewashed village in the hills. That's what we're going to talk about in this episode, uh, all about Sherry, the uh, province of Cadiz synonymous with sherry so you surrounded by sherry there surrounded but actually my my farming family a couple of generations ago john manson and his brother alexander set up a distillery in our village at home called glen geary spelled g-a-i-r-o-c-h and they were the importers of sherry to to our part of Aberdeenshire. This is going back to the 18th century. So sherry has been in my blood, really. Um, it was my granny Manson who introduced me to Croft Original with Roca Cheese Krispies when I was like 12, I think. <laughs> You describe yourself as fluent in sherry. You're a food writer, food and drink writer, and you also set up your very own Annie B's Spanish Kitchen as well. Just give us a brief outline of Annie B's Spanish Kitchen and what you do. I'm sort of a little epicentre for people that love food and wine. And it's not just all about sherry, it's about the wonderful wines we have in Cadiz here as well, but mostly about sherry. If for an activity holiday, people that want to take two or three days away from what they're doing and just want to be led through the wonderful food and wine we have here. And we do that primarily through shopping, coming back to the kitchen and doing lots of local things like gutting fresh boccaronis and pickling them and pan frying them and tasting all the the local preserved tuna products that we have here that are thousands of years old, like mohama and tuna preserved in pork fat. Mohammed's the air-dried tuna. I don't know. Have you tried it? I have. I love Mohammed. I only discovered it quite recently, actually. I think I discovered it about a year and a half ago. In fact, I discovered it in Madrid's very famous sherry bar called La Menencia. It's unique, really, to Barbati, which is 10 kilometres down the, the road here is the, the centre of the Almadraba, the, the tuna harvest that's been going on for thousands of years. So what is it you love about sherry so much and what is your favourite? What I love about sherry is I just love that there is a sherry for every single type of food. You name it, there is a sherry to go with it. Everything. And also, I just love the history of sherry. When you are drinking sherry, you're drinking history. Because sherry's not, it's you're not drinking the last harvest sherry because that's not the way sherry is made you just take a sip of sherry and you just go wow because it just it touches it touches you in every way it touches your your emotions your taste buds it just really brings you into the moment i always find with sherry could you walk us through the history of sherry what really are the origins well the moors they did they did grow um grapes and make wine in Sherish, as Harath was known in Moorish days, Sherish. 
And I guess if you were a Moor, you loved your posting to Sharish because you got to indulge in the fabulous local wines. And then Sir Francis Drake in 1587, who they referred to as Pirate Sir Francis Drake. And this was a good hundred and so years after the Moors left. He he plundered Cadiz several times, stealing thousands of casks of sherry to take back to Queen Elizabeth I. And people just loved this wine. And they asked him, well, what's it called? And Sir Francis Drake, being a great explorer, he studied, he was here for ages stealing sherry. So he was studying the old maps of the Moors and he saw that Harek was called Sharish. So that name sprang to his mind, his mind, and he said, it's called Sherry. And even though the the people here call him pirates, Sir Francis Drake, they do admit he was the best salesman that Sherry has ever had. <laughs> I guess so, opening up new markets in the UK. Eventually, I think it was his third raid here. The Spanish had all their little posts built with cannons and said to him, you're going to pay for this now or we're going to sink your ships. So eventually, after I think the second ship was sunk, he said, OK, I'll pay for it. And that started Britain's love affair with Sherry and Britain. Well, not the love affair, but the commercial trade with Sherry. And for hundreds of years after that, Sherry was shipped to Bristol from Cadiz in American oak casks. And it was bottled in Bristol. Then what happened to the empty sherry casks? What did happen to the empty sherry casks? They were sent to Scotland for the whisky industry. Is that right? Wow. And to this day, whisky is still aged in sherry butts. So it must take on some of the characteristics then? Absolutely. Whisky takes on the characteristics of PX, Oloroso. But no self-respecting sherry bodega sells loads of their sherry casks. They need those sherry casks for their Soler and Criadera. So most sherry casks are actually aged in cooperages and Jerez, filled with Oloroso or PX for years and years before they're sent off to Scotland. But occasionally you will find really great bottling out of a cask from, say, Bruchladi in Isla did a bottling with Fernando de Castilla Sherry and Bodegas Tradition have done bottlings with Glen Goyne whiskey. So you do get some specialist sherry cask bottlings that put the sherry, the sherry bodega name on the bottle. Fascinating. I never knew that there was that relationship between sherry and whiskey. So we have a lot to thank uh, right. Sir Francis Drake for. The, the Spanish might see it differently. <laughs> <laughs> and as you said, Jerez, the, the city of Jerez, that's where the wine takes its name from. Jerez, Sherish and Sherry. Just touching on that, that British influence, I believe that after that, a lot of British families came and kind of settled in the area and founded their own bodegas. Yeah, absolutely. Like Williams and Humbert, owned by the Medina Spanish family. The Gonzales Bias, Robert Bias, he was a British businessman. Gosh, there are so many of them. Sandman, Harvey's, and Osborne. Osborne as well. That's that's oh, one of the big Osborne. ones. 
That's something I always found kind of curious, like walking around those towns of the Sherry Triangle, seeing these bodegas with kind of English names or half Spanish, half English names. British businesses sent over their men to to oversee the their part of the partnership of the of the sherry industry. So many of the Jerezanos, they still educate their children in the UK and they're very dapperly dressed in their tweed jackets and their corduroy trousers. Even to this day, they look more British than some of the British. And from what I understand as well, a lot of these British businessmen that came over married Spanish girls. And so you have these yeah. kind of half Spanish, half English families and obviously now several generations of the yeah, mixing of British and Spanish blood. Absolutely. And they tend to love whiskey. They really appreciate whiskey. And any whiskey drinker, anyone who's really into their whiskey, tends to love sherry because of that influence. You mentioned the Sherry Triangle. So the Sherry Triangle consists of the three towns, San Luca de Barameda, El Puerto de Santa Maria and Jerez. Draw a line between those three towns and you've got a triangle. All of them in the province of Cadiz. Is there any difference between the production and the varieties that are produced between San Luca and El Puerto and Jerez? Absolutely, because if, if air is the most important element in the production of sherry, which then the reason that is, is because sherry casks are kept above ground. They're not kept in wine caves below ground. They're kept above ground. So in these huge buildings called cathedrals, where the hot air rises to the top and the cold air sinks to the bottom, and there's a constant circulation of air in these sherry casks, around these sherry casks. And the American oak is slightly porous. So the casks are absorbing this air and no sherry cask is filled to the brim. There's always two fistfuls of air on top of the level of sherry and the top of the cask. So that is a window of air. So the air is always there with the sherry. So the air in El Puerto de Santa Maria, Jerez and San Lucas de Barameda is very different. Particularly, you notice it in, El Puerto, in um, San Lucas de Barameda because of where it is. It's at the mouth of the Guadalavir River. There's lots of plankton particles in the air. It's facing the Atlantic Ocean. It's facing the Doñana National Park. The sea, salty sea air elements in the air really affects the sherry. So that's why... When you sip a manzanilla, it's like, whoa, it takes you right back to the beach. It's just wonderful. It's fascinating. Just the subtleties, just the difference that the air in those three different towns can make to the, the final uh, flavour yeah. of the of the sherry wine. And and let's not forget that also sherry is it's its own D.O. It has its own denominatum de, de origen as well. D.O. of Jerez which is like if you compare it to the Appalachian Controller of Champagne in France, the Dio of Jerez. Sherry can only come from this Dio, and the Dio is this Sherry Triangle. Anything outside this triangle cannot be called Sherry. Between those three towns, is there one that has a higher level of production, or is there one that's more famous for the bodegas than any of the others? Jerez is the, the epicentre, because that's the head of the Dio. And Fino, everyone knows Fino Sherry, like Tio Pepe is the biggest selling brand of Fino in the world. Fino is the youngest and driest of all sherries in Jerez and El Puerto de Santa Maria. 
And the youngest and driest of all sherries in San Luca is called Manzanilla. So it's made exactly the same way, using exactly the same grape. Those two finos and one Manzanilla, exactly the same. The only difference is the air. And there are only 40 kilometers separate these towns within the Dio. So San Luca, only for the Manzanilla, very famous for the Manzanilla, the big, big production of La Gitana and Soliar in San Luca de Varameda. Dio Jerez in Jerez is the Tio Pepe, massive bodega, Tio Pepe. And you see that thousands and thousands of bottles Tio Pepe produces every year, but their quality always remains the same. And Tio Pepe is... Probably the brand that most people, most recognisable brand for people who may be not so familiar with Sherry. Um, it's the kind of guitar-toting Andalus guy with a big black hat. Yeah. <laughs> and he, that his name is Tio Pepe. Tio Pepe. And you also Pepe. mentioned the Osborne bulls, the black billboards in the shape of bulls that we see all over Spain, not just in uh, the uh, area of Sherry Triangle or province of Cadiz. Instantly recognisable, very famous. Let's uh, talk in a bit more detail about the production of Sherry wine, the grapes that are used and the process, because it has quite a complex and curious process to produce the final sherry product. What I always say to people when we're talking about sherry is you need to forget about how wine is made. The only thing that sherry and wine really have in common is grapes, alcohol and casks, but it's done in a completely different way. So for a start, the grapes and sherry production, there are only three grapes involved and they're all three are green grapes. They're called Palomino, and Palomino is responsible for all the dry sherries, the five dry sherries, Palomino grape. And those are Fino, Manzanilla, Amontillado, Palo Cortado and Oloroso, pure Palomino grape. The colour comes from oxidisation. Basically a base of white wine almost. Base of white wine, Palomino white wine that's fortified with a pure grape spirit, like a grappa, never brandy. It's important to mention for anyone who's not sure that sherry is a fortified wine. So it is fortified. Am I right in saying it's fortified at the end of the process? Yeah, after fermentation, it's fortified. Other grapes that are used to produce other varieties? The other two grapes are Moscatel and Pedro Jimenez, which is known as PX. Moscatel, very popular worldwide. Pedro Jimenez, very popular here, a little bit less so in the rest of the world. Um, but Moscatel and Pedro Jimenez, they are sun-dried. For the production of sherry, those two grapes have to be sun-dried. They become raisined and then they are pressed. I and, see. That, and then they go into fermentation. So they must have a more intense flavour if they're sun-dried and I'm guessing they lose some of the water. Yeah and the sweetness intensely sweet and the fermentation is is cut with alcohol so that the sweetness is still is still there and then those two sherries Moscatel and Pedro Jimenez take the name from the grape so the one in the middle the cream sherry which is a blend normally it's a blend of Oloroso and Pedro Jimenez your cream sherry. And walk us through the actual process. They use this system called Solera y Criadera. 
So if you walk into any sherry bodega, and all these sherry bodegas are in towns, by the way, they're in these three towns. They're not in the countryside. The harvest happens in the countryside, but the action and the aging happens in the towns. So when you go into any sherry bodega, you walk into these amazing, amazing cathedrals, these rooms, these vast rooms with barrels stacked on top of each other. And each type of sherry will have its own solera and criadera within the bodega. So, for example, you're looking at a solera and criadera of a fino sherry in El Puerto de Santa Maria. The very bottom layer is the solera. It takes the name from the Spanish word for ground, suelo, solera. Mm-hmm. And that is the bottling cask, the solera. You extract from the solera to bottle. And by law of the DO, you can only extract 30% each year. Most bodegas do that three times a year, taking 10%. And whatever they extract from the solera is topped up with sherry. With, we're talking about a fino solera and criadera in El Puerto. So that solera is topped up with the fino from the criadera above. That's the first criadera sitting on top of the solera. And the first criadera, whatever's gone down to the solera, that's then topped up with sherry from the second criadera. And the second criadera is topped up with sherry from the third criadera. So there's like this blending rotation. Blending. Fractional blending. And the, the final criadera is topped up with the new fortified Palomino wine that's been waiting in stainless steel vats, probably, to enter the Solera and Criadera system. So in theory, when you drink sherry, a percentage of that sherry could be decades and decades old or, or more. That, hundreds. It depends on when the Solera was started. So it will be at least 100. You'll be, you'll be tasting particles that are at least 100 years old. It's absolutely fascinating. That's why Fino Manzanilla is never, ever, ever vintaged. It's the young sherry. It's always on the move. Sherry's always on the move. Part of the process, am I right in saying that they cover the top of the sherry in the barrel with a layer of, um, yes. of what is it, like floral yeast. yeast? Yes, it's called flour. And the, it only ever happens with Fino Manzanilla this layer of yeast that sits on top of the level of sherry in the barrel, protecting it from the oxygen, the floor. That floor lives off the sugar in the wine. And that's what makes Fino Manzanilla so bone dry. That layer of floor keeps the Fino Manzanilla fresh. That layer of floor stops Fino Manzanilla from oxidizing. That's why it's that beautiful white colour. So if you think of it like an apple, how beautifully white an apple is underneath its skin, you take the skin off and the apple oxidizes. You take the floor, you remove the floor from Fino Manzanilla and that can be done by adding extra alcohol. So you would extract the fino, we're back in the bodega in El Puerto, you extract the fino from the solera, you fortify it up to 
18 degrees of alcohol because phenylmanthania is 15 degrees and flour only survives at 15. You fortify your phenylmanthania up to 16, 17, 18, and that becomes your amontillado. It goes to a different part of the bodega into the solera and criadera for amontillado. So an amontillado is a double-aged sherry. It's got had its first life as a fino or manzanilla, and then its second life as an amontillado. Goes through the solera and criadera for amontillado. Yeah, it goes through a solera and criadera twice. How many years would that take to produce? Your youngest amontillado would be eight years old. That's what makes it such incredibly good value. And if you just extract a tiny bit of your solera of amontillado each year, then you're getting a more intense amontillado. You're pushing your amontillado towards becoming a voss, a very old sherry if it's 20 years old, or a vorse, a very old rare sherry if it's 30 years old. It's such an elaborate process, isn't it? It almost makes you wonder how they stumbled across the process, how it developed. To preserve, to preserve the wine for its journey from Caddy to Bristol. Let's move on and run through the different types of sherry. As you mentioned, Fino is probably one of the most well-known and it's the, the driest. Is that its key characteristic that it's very, as you said, bone dry? Very, very dry. Fino from Jerez and El Puerto and Manzanilla from San Lucar. Someone who's tasting sherry for the first time, tasting Fino and Manzanilla, you really need to have some food with Fino and Manzanilla to appreciate it. What would you suggest somebody eats while they're sipping their glass of Fino or Manzanilla? Anything salty, almonds, olives, crisps, boccarones and vinagre, peanuts, twiglets, anything salty. The first time I tried Fino was in Jerez and the waiter brought out the glass. I wouldn't say ice cold, but very, very chilled. And he presented me with a little dish of salted almonds and a little dish of very salty green olives as well. And and the combination blew me away. Just they complement each other perfectly. And the simplicity of it. And you just talking about that makes me want to sit in that bar in Jerez. That's the thing about Sherry. It's very evocative. Just oh, get in the car and go there. <laughs> I have a question about Manzanilla. Where did Tell it take me. its name from? Because Manzanilla in Spanish means chamomile, like chamomile tea. Is it because no. of the colour? Yeah, it is because of the colour. It's Manzanilla, yeah, the, the colour of it. It's very, very pale. It's also the only female sherry out of all the sherry types, La Manzanilla, because it's so delicate and dances on your tongue like a female flamenco dancer. <laughs> it's La Flamenca of the of the sherry world. I love it. Manzanilla. Yeah, it's true. It's a feminine word. That's why you'll see lots of lovely ladies and bottles of Manzanilla. One other really important thing about Fino yeah. Manzanilla to the person who's tasting it for the first time. Um, it needs to be fresh. It needs to be from a recently opened bottle. If you are not in a bodega somewhere, it needs to be from a newly opened bottle because that layer of floor is no longer there to protect it. So when you open a bottle of Fino or Manzanilla, you have to treat it like a white wine. You have to drink it within a week. So you just need to make absolutely sure that bottle is fresh. For example, from the UK, when I was growing up, bottles of Tio Pepe would be on the bar beside the 
orange squash and the uh, and the lime cordial and how long has that bottle of Tio Pepe been sitting there? People that must have had a glass of Tio Pepe that's been sitting on a bar for God knows how long must really been put off sherry because of that. Whereas all the other sherries, you're about to move on to the Amontillado, that's different. Amontillado, yeah, let's talk about Amontillado. Pretty well known as well, I guess. Higher in terms of alcohol content. It's just got more of a lingering mouthful. It's more aged. It's it's still very fresh, but it's it's just got that lovely mouthful to it. It's very, very elegant Amontillado. Darker in colour as well. Because it's oxidised. It does not have that layer of floor when it's ageing as an Amontillado. So your bottle of Amontillado can be open for a much longer time. And then we have Oloroso. Yeah, Oloroso. Now that is made, so the very beginning after the wine has been fermented, the Palomino wine's been fermented, it goes two ways. It goes to biological ageing, which is the Phenomanthenia with the layer of floor, or it goes to oxidative aging, which is oloroso. And that is fortified with alcohol up to 18% of alcohol, 18 degrees of alcohol um, from the very beginning. So no layer of floor forms. So oloroso has always been exposed to the air. But with the level of alcohol, it never goes off. And it just ages and just has this really full mouthful of absolute deliciousness more intense deeper flavor i'm wondering if that's where the name oloroso where it comes from has a a strong scent to it olor yes the olor oloroso and then we have your favorite palo cortado oh gosh i love palo cortado I love it. Well, it's got the the nose of a Montiado, but the flavour of an Oloroso. Palo Cortado starts off as a Fino, if it's in El Puerto or Jerez, or a Manzanilla, if it's in San Lucar. But somewhere along the line, the, the layer of floor in the cask dies. So it can no longer be a Fino or a Manzanilla. And it cannot be an Oloroso because it started off with Fino or Manzanilla. And it cannot be an Amontillado because it hasn't gone through the full cycle of being a Fino or Manzanilla. So it's its own little sherry type. It becomes a Palo Cortado. It's got a fair bit of the dominance of Fino, Manzanilla and Amontillado, but it's got the full body of the Oloroso because it's then aged oxidatively. Slightly more haphazard process. It's an accident. So it's just a happy accident. They call it a happy accident. There was a film made recently about the mystery of Palo Cortado. The mystery of Palo Cortado. So check that one out. Then we have the cream sherry. <laughs> now, I've got to say for me, the cream sherry reminds me of my grandmother, you know, when I was a kid and we'd go to a pub and she'd order a little schooner of probably Harvey's Bristol cream or something like that. And I kind of think that maybe that's where it's... sherry gets its old fashioned reputation from in the UK or that maybe people always associate it with being like sickly sweet or I don't know. What do you think? We all adore our grandmothers. Our grandmothers always knew what was best grandmothers were wise they knew that the cream sherry was fantastic maybe not the type they were drinking but cream has its own solera and criadera as well you extract from the oloroso you extract from the pedro Jimenez, 
and you put it through the Solaran Criadera for cream sherry. That's the proper way of making it. Of course, there are bandits on the market who get a big tank, mix in your PX and your Oloroso and bottle it from there. But that is not your true cream sherry from the Dio of Jerez. Harvey's Bristol Cream. My gosh, I was exactly the same. I used to laugh about Harvey's Bristol Cream. I always remember that. Yeah, Harvey's Bristol Cream. I mean, it was marketed quite heavily in the UK. I mean, this would have been in the 1980s, I suppose. Harvey's Bristol Cream, and tell you, it's actually one of the finest cream sherries around. It's a blend of, I think there's even some Amontillado in it. When I was doing my sherry educators course, Beltran Domecq, who's one of the giants of the very highly respected author of Sherry as well. He mentioned Harvey's Bristol Cream to me and I gave him a look that he he said, I see that look from people that that do not fully understand Harvey's Bristol Cream. (laughs) And he explained to me why it is actually so fine. And he said, you need to drink it chilled with some orange zest in it and wipe that orange zest, scrub your orange, wipe that zest around the glass Maybe put an ice cube in and just sip on that. And it is truly fantastic. And I see that look on people's faces as well in my my kitchen when we are matching Alpha Horis, a local, a local um, sweet biscuit. I give them a cream sherry and they go, this is amazing. And then I produce the bottle of Harvey's Bristol cream and they go, no way. Really? I don't know where it got its slightly it's bad reputation from. It's... No, the Harvey's Bristol Cream comes in a blue bottle. It's really hard to buy it in Spain. It's almost impossible. But in the UK, it's in a blue bottle because mm. Bristol glass is blue. And then we have the sweetest of all the cherries is the Pedro Jimenez that you mentioned, or PX as it's known. And that is the very sweetest. Yeah, there's something like 400 grams of residual sugar in PX. Wow. Whereas in Fino and Manzanilla, there's some like 0.5. Oh, wow. It's a huge difference. Oh, that's why Fino and Manzanilla is the dieter's best friend. What an alcoholic drink, but you're on a diet. A Fino is a good option. <laughs> yeah, but it does have its downside. It gets the taste buds going and makes you hungry. <laughs> Pedro Jimenez, the sweetest. It's just quite an incredible sherry. If it's a well-made one that's still got loads of acidity, it's a great pudding wine. I keep a jar of raisin soaked and PX sherry in my kitchen. And one of the cakes we make, almonds and dark chocolate cake, we cover it with raisin soaked and PX sherry. It's also great for cooking. I deglaze some pans with PX. If you're frying bacon for on top of a mango blue cheese bacon and walnut salad deglaze your pan with px it's and some sherry vinegar it's fabulous oh wow and you're making me hungry (laughs) myself hungry (laughs) go back to the sherry triangle if someone were going to make a visit to spain and they wanted to visit some bodegas they wanted to do some sherry tasting they wanted the full experience is there any one of the three places san luca el puerto jerez that you would suggest visiting for a first time First time, you've got to come to me to do a little sherry class where I will let you taste all the sherries with the matching food. And that just, you go, wow, yes, okay, I get that. Then you go to the sherry bodega and you see these barrels in, in situ and you go, okay, I completely get this. You sit down to your sherry tasting, which may not always be with food, but because you've tasted them with food, 
you will start to get it. A lot of these bodegas do do tastings with food. And the bodegas to look out for, really, for me, for a great food experience with, when I say food, it'll be your get your olives, your nuts, your jamon, your cheese. Teal Pepe has a very big tasting industry going on there. So that's a bit of more commercial, but it is educational in Haraf. Also in Haraf, there is Lastau. You can get private tastings there where they will they will give you your little kata of maradachi, kata with maradachi, with your food tasting in in Jerez. In El Puerto, um, Gutierrez Colosia is just my favourite little family-run bodega in in El Puerto. And Osborne, Osborne is spectacular with the gallery of the history of the bull and they've got this shop that merchandises the bull from golf tees to silk slippers. It's just phenomenal. That's El Puerto and San Lucar de Barrameda. I just love La Gitana's tour and tasting. And um, there's a great guy there called Victor. And he will, if you pay for the, the tasting with the sherry and the food, you will have fabulous chicharrones, the, the preserved pork belly, jamon, cheese, with with your sherries. So it's very important if you haven't got the previous experience of tasting with the food, you will enjoy it more if you feel food with you. Any bars that stand out for you in the Sherry Triangle? If you um, just want to relax on the terraza, sipping your sherry, watching the world go by, do you have a favourite place? In Jerez, they have these unique bars, the Sherry Tabancos. San Pablo in um, Jerez has got all the sherries there and your little little dishes of tapas and you can sit outside. Pasaje in Jerez, you will also get flamenco there, shows at, in the afternoon as well as the evening. And they've got, they've got the great embotidos, the preserved pork and the cheese and the mojama. They don't, they don't cook anything it's all the embotidos and you've got the sherry out of the barrel there bandolerias bandolerias there we go in Harare. they don't have an outside terrace but they have your oxtail and you can have your tapa oxtail or kidneys cooked in sherry with oh, wow. a glass of oloroso there that's Amazing. a great place for tasting that in Harare. in al puerto well uh, osborne has got this toro tapas this great trendy tapas bar where you can have great tastings with with sherry and Gutierrez Colosia has got the lovely bespoke tapas bar that um, walking if you walk from the bodega you can you can get to that it's really cute. Also in El Puerto try bodegas Obregon they have sherry and vermouth they make their own vermouth sherry vermouth's delicious but they only have crisps there but it's just fun to go and Try sherry, your fino and crisps. And if you go up to um, San Lucar de Barameda, Balbino, Casa Balbino in the Cabillo Square, the main Cabillo Square, you can have one of the best food and wine matches of the world there. Mm. Having a glass of manzanilla out of the barrel and a tortillita de camaroni. Oh, I absolutely adore the tortillitas de camarón. Oh, oh my God, I could eat plates of those. They are incredibly addictive, they, they are. Oh. La Gitana now has has a little bar restaurant 
in the the lovely courtyards that you talk about, they have transformed part of their courtyard into a little bar restaurant called Entre Botas, between the barrels. And you can try dishes with Matt Sherry there. That's just off the top of my head. <laughs> On a practical note, anyone visiting... San Luco, El Puerto, Jerez. Uh, the great thing about it is you, you know, once you arrive in the centre of those towns, um, you know, all of the bodegas are walking distance, really. As you said, the great yeah. thing about them, they're not out in the sticks in the countryside. You, you, you can easily visit them on foot from if you're staying in a hotel or accommodation in those in those towns. Yeah. And also there's Bodegas Tradición with the amazing art. And there's Williams and Humbert that has a horse show on Wednesdays. There's just so much going on, actually. In terms of more practical advice for anyone visiting, do you need to book these tastings in advance or can you show up to a bodega and just try your luck? Because I think um, when I was uh, in Jerez and also in El Puerto, some places you could just show up and maybe they had a tasting and a tour happening in an hour's time and you just sign up, pay, put your name down. I think when I was in El Puerto, we went to visit a bodega and it was closed. Would you always recommend making a booking? Definitely check out their website and definitely book an appointment for a tour. It will save your time and frustration waiting around. Definitely do that. What I did want to talk about in a little bit more detail was Annie B's Spanish Kitchen. And just to give us a little bit more detail about that, you offer more than one experience. Just run us through what you have to offer. Well, um, anything to do with Spanish food and wine and Moroccan as well, because from here, speaking to you, I'm looking out towards Morocco that, gosh, haven't been there this year and goodness knows when I'll get there. My kitchen's a little epicentre of trying to cook all these different recipes, matching them with food, wine. I do a fish class where we go to Barbati Market, which is a fantastic fish, Mercado de Bastos, um, because it comes off the boat into this market here and we buy it, we take it back. Prawns, tuna, if it's the time of the Almadraba, um, big white fish covering it with salt. I do a taste of Andalusia day, which we go to the butcher. We try all his preserved pork products. We come back here. We make gambas ajio or bondigas with chorizo and pork, tuna, tinned tuna salads, so many different things, um, local flavors. I do a Moroccan day with flavors of Morocco. Um, and I do gourmet tours of the area where we only have one cooking day here and we go and cook with other people. We do tuna day. We do um, we got to Cadiz. We spend three nights in Cadiz. Cadiz. Now, we haven't even touched on the food in Cadiz. Oh, well, Cadiz is that's another another whole episode. <laughs> Cadiz, the history of Cadiz, the joy of the Gaditanos. And I do tours in Morocco, food and wine tours, for nine nights. So I'm looking forward to be able to doing those again. And we, we leave from Spain and we arrive in Morocco by boat, just as, as they did in the olden days, the Moors did. And I also now do food and wine tours in Menorca, from the furthest west in Spain, where I am, to the furthest east in Spain, where Menorca is. Menorca is such a gourmet gold mine. It's going to be hitting the headlines big time in the years to come. So I do probably one or two weeks a year there with groups, food and wine tours. Yeah. And you know what, Paul, there's something so important I've forgotten to tell you about food and sherry matching. Um, I don't I don't know if you've heard this before, but 
it really works. If you're sitting in a restaurant, you don't want to order a glass of wine, you want to order a glass of sherry. If you think if it swims, you drink Fino and Manthania. If it flies, you drink Amontillado. Or if it runs, you drink Oloroso. Ah, that's a great way of remembering the food pairings. The other thing I just wanted to touch on, which possibly worth mentioning, is all of the wonderful ferias that happen across Andalusia, but particularly in the province of Cadiz. And I've been to many of these uh, ferias over the years. Uh, The classic drink that people get pretty merry with is these big jugs of rebujito, which is sherry mixed with kind of lemonade or Fanta Limon or Sprite or something. Casera. Seven Up, yes. Lemonade, Seven Up. Casera, it's called here. If it's a feria in Jerez or El Puerto, it'll be Fino. But if it's a feria in San Lucar, it'll be Manzanilla. El Puerto and Jerez, it'll be Fino. Pretty potent stuff. (laughs) Isn't it delicious? And you know, if you go into a bar here any other time of the year and ask for a rebujito, you can't have one. You've got to buy your sherry, your Fino Manthania separately and your 7-Up separately and you've got to mix it yourself at the table. (laughs) Very sad this year with with no ferias. That's really hitting the sales of sherry. So anyone who's listening to this, please try make rebajitos at home or experiment with some Amontillado or Oloroso. Wherever you're listening from around the world, and I know I have lots of listeners in the in the US, go and buy a bottle of sherry the next time you're in your wine store or the supermarket, if they have it there, go and buy a bottle of sherry. I think we've both made ourselves very hungry and very thirsty. Annie, thank you so much for taking the time out to join the Weddings Fame podcast today. And thank you for your amazing in-depth insight into the world of sherry. Paul, it's been an absolute pleasure. I just love chatting about sherry. So hopefully the next time we meet, we will have one in hand. Let's do that for sure. So that was Annie B and Sherry. Big thank you to you, Annie. Um, If you'd like more information about Annie's Spanish Kitchen and the experiences and uh, culinary tours and adventures that she runs, check out her website, which is anniebspain.com. Anniebspain.com. I'll put a link in the show notes of this episode anyway, so you can click on it. You can also find Annie on Instagram. The handle is anniebspain. And she's also on Facebook and Twitter as well. So if you're planning a trip... Well, I know it's complicated at the moment with uh, COVID-19, but if you are thinking of planning a trip in the future to the province of Cadiz or indeed to the beautiful village of Beja de la Frontera, go and look up Annie and give one of her culinary adventures a try. Why not? So that will do it for this week. Thank you so much for listening wherever you are around the world. I really appreciate your company on my weekly journeys around Spain and Spanish culture. Incidentally, if you're new to the podcast and maybe you didn't know, when in Spain also has a presence on Instagram. The handle is When in Spain One. Go and check out the When in Spain Instagram with photos from all around Madrid and Spain and uh, photographs which correspond to the various podcast episodes. When in Spain's also on Facebook. We have a When in Spain Facebook group. Head along there to join in the conversation with like minded Spain fans. And indeed, there is the When in Spain page, which is When in Spain Podcast. So until next week, with more of me and more of Spain, I'll leave it there. Until then, hasta luego. Hasta luego.